on this episode of Comedy Rewind. Does Superbad capture the teenage experience better than any comedy of the 2000s? Why do people have to hate on Michael Sarah so much? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to 8-Bits Comedy Rewind. We are powered by Audio Technica as we rewatch the great comedies of the 1990s and 2000s. I'm your host, John O'Peck, and joining me today was either going to be him or Muhammad, but I've went with Ryan Bethson. Welcome to the show. Hey, man, you made a fantastic decision. No offense to Muhammad, but you've made the right call, especially with this today's film. <laughs> we are, of course, talking about Superbad and Ryan... I guess so I wanted to bring you in for a movie that's near and dear to you. Uh, you are, of course, Ryan Betson of the Pop Culturists. Uh, tell me why Superbad has such resonance with you. Well, previously, I would have, I would have, I would have loved for you to have grabbed me for say Clerks or Clerks Two from when you did your your nineties run because Clerks Two is one of the most like important movies I've ever I, of for me ever. Yeah. Uh, in terms of my adolescence and growing up, and second is oddly super bad. It, it was really bizarre. It was like watching myself be split across two characters <laughs> for ninety minutes. Yeah, wow. So much so that it was actually unnerving the first time I watched it. So you would have been, I'm guessing, after like finished high school by the time you saw this, right? Uh, or was what that year your year? Out? To 2007, maybe that was your. That was, I, I was in year 12. Right. That year. Okay. Yeah. So I'm a couple of years older than you. I was in my second year of uni, so this was almost like a almost a nostalgic thing for me, where it was like, yeah. oh, high school. Like I was living yeah. it at the time this movie came out. Mm. That was my like time. I'm guessing you weren't quite as uh, crude. Uh, well, you know me. I do, I'm but not not, most... not in the same way that uh, that, that <laughs> Seth is like this this Jonah Hill character, where you know he's only after one thing. I, I don't. I can't imagine you. You're a, you're a sweet, innocent boy. I can't imagine you kind of well, chasing see, the ladies see, that like was that. The... <laughs> well, no, certainly not that way. See, that that's the thing. Like, that's what I loved about you know Michael Sarah Michael Sarah's character and Jonah Hill's character is that they if you put them two together right. you had me like I was very shy and very nervous ar- around most people ish sort of uh, you know like Michael Sarah's character was like Evan was mm-hmm. um, but you get me in the right space and when I'm when I'm friendly and I am rude I am crude I I am what Seth was sure <laughs> so but like not directly when it came to like talking to to you know, people of the same sex, people of the other sex. Like, I, you know, I was just like quiet kid, but like, I am, no, I am, no, you know me, I'm yeah. that crude and sure. that inappropriate. It's, um, a shit. <laughs> it's funny, like listening to these two characters talk was like a time machine for me and my wife. Yeah. We watched this and she was like, that's every guy I went to school with. The way that they're talking to each <laughs> other, like, especially when they're in the, 7-Eleven or whatever. They're just talking yeah. brazenly with complete, you know, vulgarity in front of... Like, they don't even show the, the person it's that's... complete disregard for anyone yeah, around them. They don't them. even show... They made an interesting decision not to show the person who works there because their face would have yeah. just been like, what? I can't believe you guys are saying this in front of me. Um, but, yeah, like, just that... Uh, it really captures what it's like to be that age and just have, like, kind of no idea about the world. And the only thing yeah. that matters is today and tonight and 
you know, the way that the way that people see me at school, the way that my friends see me, and just not having that that, uh, that maturity, I guess. Yeah, and I think it also captured a really good part of of, of school, like how many people experience high school right so not everyone was the popular kid not everyone had that big click or was invited to parties and i wasn't that kid so like this movie mirrored that like my weekends were me hanging out with like my two other friends Mm -hmm. you know very similar to these characters there were three of them and we would go and we'd get like you know backyard hammered at my mate's place and you know play games and talk on each other and you know like like i was literally watching how I hang out with my friends, which it depends on how you want to look at it, whether that was embarrassing, you know, whether I should be ashamed of that or I should have some sort of like embarrassment, but no, not at all. Like I, you know, I have such good friendships with that. And what I loved about this movie as well is that it is full of vulgarity and sort of that inappropriateness, but that is kids when they're 17. Like it's so real, but then it's also like, it, there's so much heart in it as well. Mm. You know, it's one of the same reasons that I love Clerks too, right? Is because that movie is a is a transitional film, right? Is it's all about you know the moment where Dante and Randall split, you know where Dante's going. Well, Dante would be going to Florida and Randall would be staying home, and same goes for Seth and Evan. Yeah, here. the idea was that you know one of them is going away to this school, the other person's going to this school, and at the time I was you know one of the reasons I clicked Clerks too because that was I was in year, in year 12 and I was going to Melbourne I was moving from my my home my hometown of Tarragon, uh where my friend was staying he wasn't going to university so very similar to this movie that they have that moment at the end when it's all about one going one way and one mm-hmm. going the other and and that's a, a big part of you know because I'm a big softie as well so I'm a sucker for a good bromance, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And this movie is littered in bromance love. It really is. That's one of the things that I like about it too. There's the heart behind all the kind of sex jokes that that makes it worthwhile, like makes it worth sticking with and Yeah. And and gives it like it kind of lets it walk that line, I think. And interestingly, like they they do kind of capture that sense that you know kids of this age don't talk about things that are important like they just kind of keep it down like it's it's too awkward to bring it up and they have this big blow up where all of the feelings come out at once you know evan saying you've been holding me back for three years and um seth saying you you always you always bail on me and he feels really hurt the fact that he's going you know to to leave town and it just all comes out at once instead of the way that i guess you would hope that mature adults would talk about these things in a, you know. You say that, but I know many adults that still haven't grasped it yet. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it's probably why it's real <laughs> now, why, you know, 10 years later. That's why I say you would hope mature adults would talk about <laughs> these things. Um, but even like reading about the way that this movie was put together, which we'll, we'll go into a lot of detail with, but Judd Apatow, who uh, had kind of groomed Seth Rogen into being this Hollywood writer and producer with this movie because it's his first attempt at doing that he's done so much since then but Judd Apatow having all the experience was like you have to actually like the original draft the movie well not the original because there's thousands of drafts but the, the movie that they were going to film ended at the party so it didn't have the scene with the sleep in mm. the sleeping bags it didn't have them going to the mall and meeting up with the girls so it didn't have that resolution or closure 
or any of that kind of focus on the the B plot of the movie, which was that heart yeah. that we've been talking about. Because on the surface, it's, you know, these guys are trying to get alcohol. They're trying to get with these girls. Simple teen movie, been done a million times. But as we say, like, there's this B plot that's actually like the bromance and it's running through the whole movie. And if you just ended it like, oh, there goes McLovin getting arrested in the car. The two kids walk off. What a crazy night that was or whatever they say. And then credits like it just wouldn't have the same impact. I completely agree. And to make to add to that as well, like so Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen, when they wrote this, they were 14, 15 or something. 13. Like when their they started, first yeah. draft to this, yeah, was when they were 13, right? So at the time, they wouldn't have had the emotional maturity to hit that, that exactly. beat, that ending, yeah. right? Because that only comes from post experiencing that. Yeah. You know, an, an example. Um, a very personal example, like I, so when I was like 25, I was having what I, what I deemed my quarter life crisis, <laughs> right? And I was seeking ways to understand it, ways to comprehend it. And at that time, you know, I was obviously being a big Kevin Smith fan that I am. I, he was like, create. And I'm like, cool. So in the same vein of, of what Seth and that did as well, I, I penned, I tried to write a script for a movie um, to sort of help me process where that, that pivotal turning point that I was going through. And the biggest hurdle I had was ending it. Mm. Because if I knew how to resolve it, I wouldn't be needing this. Yeah. <laughs> it is hard to end things. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it's the same thing here. Like they yeah. didn't know what was going to happen after high school because they were in it. Mm. So they can't like any resolution that they would have created wouldn't have stuck the same landing. Yeah. And even writing it, like finishing the movie off as adults. I think Seth Rogen was 23 when they started filming they still didn't think like the kids that we were at 18 would have had this conversation and they would have addressed the elephant in the room and wrapped it up. So they, yeah. they still needed that note from Apatow. And I have to apologize. I said, this was your comedy rewind debut, but we did the chasing Amy one. Obviously I just, we did. I just re- realized when you were talking about Kevin Smith again. So you know, what's going on. You've, you've, you're old hat at this by now. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I guess we should talk a little bit more about the background. As you said, they started writing this at 13. They were sitting around watching some bad movie and said, we could do something better than this. And they started putting down these stories of things that happened to them. And I'm guessing like progressively through through high school, because they were 13 when they started, they heard stories that they knew they had to get into the movie. And uh, I think Seth Rogen was kind of, 18 to 19 20 when freaks and geeks was happening which was of course his introduction to judd apatow and his entry into that world because you know watching this movie there's a whole lot of uh familiar faces to fans of freaks and geeks or even just comedy fans now like you're seeing faces that weren't faces then but they are now yeah absolutely there's there's a (laughs) there's a lot of like even like dave franco's in this for two seconds and he's obviously james franco's little brother um, Kevin Corrigan, who has one of the bigger supporting roles in this movie, was on Freaks and Geeks. Martin Starr, who plays one of the main Freaks and Geeks, is kind of a cameo. Yeah. And there's just a... I, I counted five, like the, the math teacher. There's just like all these people that pop up. And I noticed because I just watched a documentary on Freaks and Geeks, the casting agent, Alison Jones, for this movie is the same woman that did it 
on Freaks and Geeks. Well, yeah, because Apatow's using that very, you know, like uh, 90s independent vibe, which you cast your mates and you do what you can. And and like that, we see that, you know, thread coming through because, you know, uh, Rogan does quite a number of Apatow films, including like Funny People and Knocked Up Mm -hmm. and, you know, This Is The End, which I think is i think seth rogan actually directed that himself but either way like that same it's the same crew red yeah. has come through it yeah that's right and like jonah hill got this role because he was shooting knocked up which again mm. has a ton of freaks and geeks people in it but he auditioned for the role of seth because seth rogan was a couple of years too old to play the character anymore and even though they're kind of a similar age jonah hill really nails the the high school teenager you smashed it. <laughs> it's insane. And Michael Cera, like, we should probably do a, a little bit about him because he's a guy that gets way too much hate. I think it's because he is incredibly typecast. That's interesting, though, because I'd say he was typecast. Like, he always kind of plays the same-ish vibe, awkward mm. dude. But he hasn't been... Like, what was the last movie you saw him in? That's my point. Like when I think of when I think of him, I think of Arrested Development. Yeah. I think of Superbad. I Scott think Pilgrim. of Juno. You know Scott Pilgrim, and like, and there there is that similar thread in all those characters. Yeah. And then and then of course then I think of This Is the End, where he intentionally played a an intense version of himself mm-hmm. that isn't those things. Yeah. So since I guess those movies you mentioned, he's gone off and he's done like a bunch of Broadway stuff. He's doing voice acting. Mm-hmm. So I think he's. And he seems like a, an interesting dude who kind of, like, he's never been on social media. He is the perfect age to be someone that's obsessed with it because he's the same age as us, basically. And he just kind of shies away from the spotlight. And for someone that's been in, like, some of the bigger comedies of the past 20 years, that's pretty interesting, I think. So he just, mm. I don't know, I think he gets a bit of a rough go at it from a lot of people who seem to hate him for whatever reason but he is so perfect in this movie as this oh, character is, the casting in this film is just astounding like i i think they straight nailed it mm-hmm. absolutely also the the debut of emma stone and christopher mintz plass as uh fogel yeah so that they've done well to kind of unleash or uncover some of these actors that have gone on to have very successful careers, especially in well, especially Emma like Emma Stone. Yeah. I think this is a seeing this is her like a, a gateway to sort of comedic uh, performances, which then we know we steps away because I'm trying to think. I mean, like La La Land was one. Birdman, there was another film she did. Uh, Birdman, oh, I love Birdman. You know, there's a handful of other more dramatic roles that she's taken mm. since then. Of course, you know, getting involved in the Amazing Spider Man as well. Like, so she has has gone quite far now christopher mintz platz though he he's has very much smaller sort of space like he did like kick ass and stuff like that but like i don't think he's done any major breakout stuff since no it's 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 been mostly well it's been comedy roles essentially we'll get to that in the category coming up so we won't step on that quite yet but uh ryan let me know what do you think the rotten tomato score would be for super bad uh, I think it'd be quite high. I think a lot of people love this movie. I think I think it would have got pretty hit on for its crudeness, but I think a, enough people would have uh, connected to it that it went well. Give me a number out of a hundred. <laughs> I'm gonna say in in the eighties, like eighty four, eighty eight. Very close. Oh, yeah. So very popular with the critics. It's interesting because, like you mentioned, Kevin Smith 
a few times, none of his movies would be this high. Like the critics never, you know, jumped on yeah. to, to him and, and his thing. And even like most of Judd Apatow's movies, I'd be surprised if they were higher than like 70. So I guess this, this, this nailed what it was trying to do, I think. Yeah, I think Kevin Smith was the gateway to what this genre was to become, right? Because even Kevin's movies are very much about that bromance between two guys, that, you know, unspoken friendship that's, you know, that like that sort of deep friendship that's wrapped in, in vulgarity, right? And it, what what Kevin Smith and a couple other people did, they created that stepping stone to what Judd Apatow would do. And I think this is that sort of a big epitome. This is like the the, the big... Uh, the pinnacle of that, mm. I, I believe, in terms of that that that's very sort of growth upwards to getting to this point. Yeah, for sure. I think Apatow out Kevin Smith's Kevin Smith in a lot of ways. Well, so much so that obviously with Zach and Mary make a porno, Kevin Smith tried to do Apatow. Yeah, and it didn't work. <laughs> well, no, it did not. By by. The, oh, I loved yeah, it. it was, yeah, I, I loved it, it too. But it, but it didn't work by I guess what he was hoping. By a critical standpoint, yeah. We've talked about that. Um, So NPR had a a review of the movie at the time that said this, which I thought summed it up pretty well. What makes the film so appealing is the disconnect between what comes from the mouths of these hormone-addled pups and what's going on in their heads, where they're still clinging desperately to the innocence that they're leaving behind. Isn't that good? I think that's absolutely spot on. Yeah, it really does capture what's going on there. It's probably at a deeper level than what, you know, Seth and Evan Goldberg even we're intending but you've got these guys that are so unsure and insecure about where their lives are going that they are just giving into peer pressure and and trying to tick off all the the bucket list crap that high schoolers always try to do in in these teen movies which is essentially coming down to sex and women <laughs> and i think the the big part of that as well cuz even the even with the way that they they talk is like it does stem in a lack of confidence and yeah. like because you know they are they are a lot of motivations between behind say seth's character is very much making himself look better yeah he and talks like, talking lot. that way isn't him you know trying to brag it's, it's him trying to lift himself up to a point of seeming like a success yeah it's kind of the classic geeky chubby kid making up for it by trying to be the funny guy i i resemble that remark so thank you <laughs> but i mean like it's the, it's not the same level of uh of joking that say like jay from uh, uh in between has had where he just makes up shit completely yeah. where like these are still like, uh, 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 Seth's still recently grounded but he's just kind of talks a big game of things he would do rather than things he quote did do you know yeah yeah ryan what do you think the number one song was when this movie came out in September of 2007. September of 2007. You're not going to guess it. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I don't... I'm, it's, that's, that's, it's, you know, it's, Sean, it's Sean Kingston's Beautiful Girls, which I wouldn't even be able to... Oh, that, yeah, that song was ba- was like popular for like six months, if I remember I right. I don't even remember. I wouldn't have guessed it. <laughs> How does that go? Don't you, you want, remember You want to sing some for me? Oh, I could, but it'd be horrendous. But um, no, I remember that song quite well, yeah. actually. The number one album that month was 50 Cent, Curtis. And it was only a yeah. few weeks prior to the Foo Fighters, Echo, Silence, Patience and Grace album. Grace, so yeah. that's just to kind of set the scene. 
a little bit. We'll look at what these guys have been up to lately. What have you done for me lately? Michael Sarah, as I said, a lot of Broadway, a lot of voice acting, nothing like really big that I've actually heard of. Um, so nothing really to mention there. It could That could be like a pandemic thing. You know, a lot of um, people who were in the theater stuff, you know, the theater scene would have had to put things on hold because... Of, yeah. of the lack of, of live performance. And then if they were doing, if they were putting their eggs in that basket, that means, oh, well, now I've got no work and there's no movies coming out. So there'll be like a big gap in some IMD page, IMDb pages, I think. I think for a quite a number of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jonah Hill, however, has a movie in post-production that sounds really interesting. It's called Don't Look Up. And it's about some astronomers who have to go on a media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet earth no but we should also mention since Superbad, uh jonah hill oscar nominated yeah jonah hill for uh the wolf of wall street he's had a crazy and then of career. course in, inceptional performance in moneyball um you know where he's now a writer director he did uh, mid-90s. uh was it mid 90s yeah. yeah you know like He's come so far. And then obviously 21 Jump Street as well, continuing that. Oh. Yeah, he's had a he's, he's had, had, a, such he's had a very impressive career, especially the way that he's been able to put on and lose weight up like, like, like a yo-yo for different roles. Like yeah. that's been really impressive from that kind of Christian Bale perspective. Yeah. The interesting thing about this movie, Don't Look Up, kind of a side tangent here. So written by Adam McKay, who did Anchorman, Talladega Nights, yeah. Step Brothers. So this is a comedy. It's going to be starring along with Jonah Hill, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, <laughs> Kate Blanchett, Meryl Streep, and Ron Perlman. I don't think Leonardo DiCaprio has ever done a comedy. I don't think he has. Either. I don't think he's, like, he's done funny movies. But I want to see the hell out of the this. The Wolf of Wall Street's a very funny movie, but it's not a comedy. And yeah. he does comedy well in these movies. Like every Tarantino movie has its funny moments. And I laughed a lot in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when he's freaking out in this trailer. But I can't wait to see what an Adam McKay movie looks like with Leonardo in it. <laughs> you know, Leonardo Caprio's not quite sure what to do with his hands. Yeah. <laughs> you know, It's him and Joni Hill back together again. So yeah, keep an eye out for that one. Emma Stone has been working on the Cruella DeVille movie. Did you see the trailer for that one? Yeah, it looks mad. It's Yeah, it's like the, the gritty reboot for Cruella DeVille. I'm in. Yeah. But she looks really, like, really good. Like, she's transformed herself. I'm just a sucker for Emma Stone, man. Like, I've, I fell in love with her pretty quickly from this film, <laughs> and then I've enjoyed everything she's done, most things she's done since, you know? So, yeah. this is... I, I was already thumbs up, you know? And Christopher Mintz-Plass has just done Promising Young Woman. He had a role in that movie, which got a couple of Oscar nominations, I think. So that's... The movie did, yeah. I don't know whether he no, did. Well, but yeah, he, he was I, a smaller I, role, but I guess that would be the example of him stepping into a more dramatic Apparently, it's a great film. I haven't seen character. it. I think he's playing, like, like a lot of the guys in this movie. I think Adam Brody is one of them as well, like... A predator, basically. What? Someone praying. The OC's on... Adam Brody. Yeah. The OC's Adam Brody. Oh. Yeah. Bill Hader, fantastic in this movie as Officer... Oh. What's his name? Uh, Officer Slater. But he has recently done... Uh, well, I, the It Chapter 2 was a, a few years ago now, but he plays one of the, the grown-up versions of those kids from It. 
And he's the voice of Modok in the Modok animated series on Hulu. I can't believe that Disney let someone else do a Marvel property, but Hulu's got that for some reason. And he's been on Bob's Burgers for like eight years, so he's still plugging away with some voice acting. But he's... Yeah, I know there were for, for a stint there, he was a writer on South Park. Yeah, yeah. He had this TV series, Barry, that was meant to be fantastic. Yes. Oh, apparently that's, uh, I've seen snippets because yeah. uh, some of my clients that I work with, he's a massive fan. And I, I've seen mm. some snippets and it looks fantastic. Yeah. So the last season of that was 2019. So I don't know if that's like a pandemic pause or it's like finished. So mm-hmm. um, I'm sure he'll be up to something cool before long because he's so talented very much so. seth rogan of course the producer writer and actor in this film has recently done an american pickle which was his movie that came out last year and he produced invincible which is the hotness at the moment on amazon i don't know if you've Managed to check that out i haven't watched it yet i know it's just finished the season just finished yeah. but uh, yeah so i know because he was also involved in bringing quite a number of uh, c- uh, comic book adaptions, including Preacher, yeah, when he had played a big part in, yeah, yeah, he produces so much stuff now. Like it's like you don't even realize there's things that he's not even part of that he is involved with. Um, so he does voice a character, like a small character that pops up a couple times in Invincible, but he also produced Console Wars, the documentary about the Nintendo versus Sega uh, battle in the '90s, and that was based on a book by Blake J. Harris, who's been on my podcast a couple of times and really cool to see Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg pick that one up because it's a, a pretty interesting story about, you know, mm. Sega's attempt to dethrone Mario and Nintendo. I believe it's on, yeah, it's on, if it's not on YouTube, it's on Apple, um, like, you know, iTunes or whatever. It's only a couple bucks. So, Check it out if you're interested in that. And un- unmovie related though, um, Seth, Seth Rogen has been doing a lot for it's either Alzheimer's or dementia. Like he's done quite a lot. Yeah, I think um, his wife's think father. His, his mom's unwell. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Like his mom or his wife's father. Yeah. Some it, one of the parents of he and his he or his wife. And yeah, and he has done tremendous, tremendous things. Hmm. Yeah, I think they do like an annual comedy night or something to raise money. Yeah, for pretty it. much. Yeah. yeah. And the last one I wanted to mention, because she's got as much to do in this movie as some of those other characters, is uh, Martha McIsaac, who plays Becca. And she has apparently been doing Family Guy voices for the past like six or seven years, which Sweet. I mean, I, I don't think anyone would have picked it, but good on her. She's still working is, I guess, the point. <laughs> okay, into the categories. What's the most 2000s moment of Superbad? Ooh... See, I think there's a lot that's great about this movie is that it, it, there's nothing really signifying its time. Mm. Aside from like the flip phone, I think. Other than that, there really isn't a lot to lock it down in that specific, at that specific window, I feel. Yeah, I think when you're talking about teenagers, the lack of social media and the smartphones probably stands out more than it might with other 
groups of, of friends. So that's probably mm. the main thing. Oh, actually, the answer is uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Evan playing uh, The Getaway on his PS2 <laughs> uh, while while uh, Seth tries on his uh, Evan's dad's jeans. Yeah, that's great. They do have probably the, the most yeah. direct 2000s reference. I actually wrote down the names of uh, the... So, so it's the Getaway Black Monday that he's playing. Yeah, the sequel, yeah. Yeah, and then the the posters in the background, you've got Tomb Raider Legends, and there's a World of Warcraft poster there too. <laughs> but then the musical, the music that brings the movie in is very 70s inspired. So it's like, it's this weird, you know, I think I think if you, if you listen to the audio commentary, because I have, because I'm a giant dork, uh, I think they intentionally picked something so tonally different right. for that exact reason. Um, cause if you were to, you know, do whatever he sort of, you know, nineties, two thousands move, you know, teen raunchy comedy did and pull out some pop punk, it'd be yeah. really timestamp it hard. But I think this is kind of exceeds that, which is nice. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I definitely wrote down the phones cause you, you get a couple of close ups of the flip phones and the texts that they're sending and they're trying to, trying to talk and the signal's bad. Like that doesn't happen quite as often these days. There's also a VHS tape appearance when they've got the CCTV footage from the liquor store, which oh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's more of a 90s thing, but the fact that it exists in this movie, like it it just wouldn't anymore. Like yeah. Around this time or very soon after, it would have all completely gone digital, I assume. I'm not in the CCTV business, but maybe some of our friends can tell us. Uh, and, and the clothes, obviously, uh, super 2000s. But you look at what they're wearing to school, <clears throat> it's the baggy shorts and the baggy jeans, and I know we probably still wear them. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Like, you say that, like, we don't still wear that today. Like, my, my haircut hasn't changed since 2004. My clothes hasn't changed. Like, I, I just wear slightly newer versions of the That just says more shit, about so. us, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, sure, it does. I, I, I did like that. Like, time. I only recently <laughs> picked up my first shorts that aren't like way lower than the knee oh I caved since in. i gotten thinner <laughs> since i gotten thinner yeah. that was my rule because apparently like shorts above the knee were a thin man's thing right yeah so it wasn't until semi recently if i've just gone up to the shorts above the knees yeah thing. nice that's it's a big transition i'm sure and you, well, congratulations on making it too like it's it's a tough day <laughs> it it's is a lot of a lot of uh, uh there's a lot of uh, uh self-confidence concerns i definitely in that, in that had moment. the camo shorts like the cargo shorts <laughs> yeah definitely and uh you know you, you got the vans they're pretty timeless i guess but just yep. just seeing like what a lot of the the guys are rocking at school brought back a lot of memories we'll get to more about social media with one of the later categories so we'll move on for now but what do you have as the most iconic scene in super bad there's a couple that I still that I still refer to, um, and I know this. I know one of your questions later is like gifts and memes and stuff. Um, so a lot, I guess, a lot of the ones that stand out for me are the ones that I still reference to this day because they are still iconic to me. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them is you know, <laughs> you know, the in and around the mouth. Yep, <laughs> I still use that line on most days. Uh, you know, like uh, Seth Rogen, like ah, he's the fastest kid alive. You know, like <laughs> that one always makes me chuckle as well. Uh, you know, as it varies on 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 the on the day, and there's there's I think there's a lot of really strong scenes in this movie, and 
you know, even down to like, you know, the uh, Seth dancing with the woman. And mm-hmm. you're like, if you, if you think about Superbad, like they're the things you think of. Yeah. I, I take that um, I take that same tact when I'm trying to decide what's like the most iconic to me. And the thing that I came up with was the introduction of McLovin. The dialogue in that scene is possibly the best in the whole movie. <laughs> the whole, you know, argument I guess it is or the interrogation about why did you why did you pick this name? Why did you pick 25 years old, you know? And the way that, it, that he just like it makes sense to him. Yeah. <laughs> it's so well, the funny. The logic is there, but yeah. like, dude. <laughs> and the way the way it ends with, you know, Evan's like, he's like, you know, you can walk in there and they'll either see, uh, you know, a, a kid trying to buy alcohol or they'll see 25-year-old Hawaiian organ donor, organ McLovin. Donor. <laughs> <laughs> and he just goes, I am McLovin. And that's that's the scene. I think that's, that's the most iconic scene for me because... The reason, one of the reasons is McLovin himself as a persona is potentially the most iconic thing in this film. <laughs> I, I would agree, yeah. So if it's not that, it's him at the liquor store <laughs> getting punched in the face <laughs> after, and then, you know, having to, um, to, to convince the cops that he's old enough. See, now that, like, I'm sitting here, you know, sort of reliving the movie in my head, I also love, the, you know, Bill Hader chewing McLovin out, uh, you know, when when they they get to the, they bust up the party, and it's like, McLovin, you left it! It's like, yeah. it's like, the complete turn of the cop, who's just, like, being shafted by his friend. Oh, it's funny. Yeah. So good film. The cops are, are just, they're almost from a different movie. <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like everyone else is kind of like, they, they're pretty grounded and you, they make sense. And then you got these two cops who feel like they're just like, they just pulled them out of like a, like lit, like the naked gun or something. Cause they're so over the top <laughs> ridiculous. Like the worst police that I, I was going to say, I'm sure like there's no cops that are actually like that, but apparently, who, who knows? apparently cops would come up to them and be like, Hey, like I, you know, telling stories of things that they've done <laughs> that are similar to this movie. Like, I don't that's know, not, know whether it's like... not harrowing. No, not at all. Shooting shooting their guns. It's probably more like, you know, we we put the siren on when we're going to get donuts or something like that. But Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the house party was the other one I wanted to mention. Like, there's two house parties, but the one at the end that yeah. has, like... It just goes from one hilarious thing to the next especially with you've got the three characters and their three romantic interests at once mclovin's having the most luck uh evan and becca is hilarious they were actually drunk filming that scene because it was like eight o'clock in the morning and they just wanted to get into character and (laughs) the dialogue in that scene i don't know if it's improvised or what but man it's funny and to, to add to that, in the McLovin scene as well. So, fun fact, McLovin was underage during the shooting of this movie. Oh, uh, yeah. So, so in order for him there. to... Sh- yeah, so in, sh- in order for him to shoot this sex scene, there was a lot of, uh, yeah, different rules that had to be followed. And, uh, yeah, his mum had to be there. And, you know, all these little extra things, which is a blast. It's pretty funny. He really looks like he's 17 as well. He does. Like, I, And we probably all knew someone like that kid who... 
was a bit gawky, uncoordinated, like really gangly, dorky. Just really do. like, just as the casting director said, like looked like they'd seen the inside of a locker at school. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he just has this confidence that uh, this like, weird, like, unearned like, confidence. Yeah, I don't know where it, yeah, it is. And he, he's like more, even more confident than in him, in who he is himself. I think than than Seth and Evan. And that's why he gets the lady, because confidence. That's right. Okay, what holds up the best? I think it's the heart. I think I, I think it, it is it is that heart that runs through this movie. I do I think that it 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 the fact that it's willing to show that that well, that love between mm-hmm. two friends, like that un, especially between two guys, that that unspoken love between you and your best friend that you you know what's there. And you don't talk about it because it's just, it's just, you know, because you're fucking seventeen. Yeah. But like that's, I think that's what holds up the best. And with that, I think comes a lot of the humanity in this film. I think because even to this day, if you hang out with some seventeen-year-old kids, this is what you see. Mm-hmm. What holds best about this movie? the movie i think there's very little in it that there's, there are some things that are questionable of course but i think there is such a realness oh i say that when I, as i said from the start of this movie when i looked at it and i was like holy shit, this is me and like that's the big difference where mm. i'm you know i'm watching this film i'm like okay well i'm feeling myself on on camera i'm creating that emotion emotional connection to this movie so when i say what holds up the best about it is that i i'm watching a a snapshot of my youth so it's incredibly biased, the, all of it. Yeah, I think you touched on a lot of what I was going to mention there. And you're right, like the, the scene when, especially at the end, they're in the sleeping bags and, you know, like who doesn't... I hope that everyone had this experience as a kid, like a sleepover with your friends and you just stay up talking like way later than you should. Yeah. I don't know why they're both in sleeping bags. Like one of them... <laughs> One of them probably should have been in their own bed and the other on the floor. That would make a lot more sense. Yeah. But then you wouldn't get the nose boop, which is just hilarious. Well, yeah. And, and once again, <laughs> if you haven't got like well hammered and like DNM'd with your, with your friend at like three in the morning, then were you really 17? <laughs> uh. But uh, and, and other things that hold up as well is, you know, something as simple as uh, that scene with, uh, you know, Evan and Becca and, you know, Michael Sarah being quite reluctant, actually, because they were both drunk, which is a, which is a good sign. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know. Him trying to make himself drunk so that he can justify sleeping with yeah, her yeah. is so funny because <laughs> he, he has a moral conscience that tells himself, if I'm drunk, then it's okay. So he just tries yeah. to get blasted as quickly as possible. <laughs> like there is a, like a weird sweetness to that, yeah. and the fact that like he doesn't, you know, he behaves himself. Um, you know, he, or he like it's like you know Emma Stone's character, you know, not drinking mm. and sort of you know having that. Like, no, I'd much rather have a conversation with you when you're not hammered. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think a lot, a lot of this movie really stands out. Yeah, we mentioned the casting. It's obviously excellent and the fact that a lot of these people have gone on to have a lot of success speaks to that you mentioned the bromance and i was saying before the sleeping bags and seth saying like i love you man like i'm not afraid to go up on the roof like and shout it out like that's this, so, doing this so, go on the roof <laughs> such a 
that's such a relate. I think me and my friends, or at least a couple of them, like, or and and just in general, I've never been afraid to tell my male friends Same. that I love them and 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 that kind of thing. I think that it's nice. Um, but James L. Brooks, who's you know a huge name in in Hollywood, I think mostly known from The Simpsons, um, went to see this movie. Took his son and his son's friends. Apatow was telling the story that afterwards he said it, it felt like the, it was the first time they realized they loved each other. And that really, yeah. I think, speaks to what you were saying. Um, being a teenage kid and, and seeing these characters on the screen and, and a reflection of, you know, uh, your own friendships and, you know, they're telling each other that, that they love each other and, and maybe makes them realize, oh, that's what I have with my friends too. Yeah. So there's something that I'm going to mention here that, is part of what holds up the best, but it also is part of what holds up the worst in the next one. <laughs> and it's it's how much this captures a boy's perspective. This yes. was written by two teenage boys. The whole film is from their perspective. It, none of it is through the lens of a woman at all. Like whether it's the mum, school teachers, the the girls at school, um, you know, anyone else that comes up for the rest of the movie. It's all through the lens of these male characters and it feels like it was written with that perspective and that's yes. not necessarily a bad thing. It, it's what the movie is, yes. but it's very glaring when you like, I, I'm sure there are a lot of women that like this movie, but I can imagine going to this film as, as a woman and being like, this isn't my story. This is the story of the guys I went to school with. See, but I would argue in that circumstance, they are correct. This movie's not for them. Mm. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with something not being written for you. Yeah. Um, the the royal you, of course, right? Yeah. Like, if I, I'm not going to go watch um, the first, the it's the first comedy female movie that comes to the name Bridesmaids, right? I'm not watching them be like, oh, I can't relate to this movie. Yeah. Because it's not for <laughs> me. Someone tried to write, a, for that movie, is someone wrote a Judd Apatow movie for women. And it's a f***ing great movie, but it's not for me. You know what I mean? And where, where this movie specifically um, is 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 for young teen, you know, dudes. Like, it's as simple <laughs> as that. And like, granted, look, it, it, it's part of the, the worst part of it, yeah, is it... And as a result, it does... It can have moments where it seems quite misogynistic. Mm. Because, you know, I'm not saying that this makes it okay. No way am I saying that. But like that is the brain of a seventeen-year-old boy. Like not not to like because once again like there is misogyny here in terms of them looking at the opposite sex as some sort of trophy, mm -hmm. as some sort of need for an like as an achievement, um, rather than sort of seeing them as partner. But even then, both of them, like they are saying that that's what they want, but very clearly, like the under like the nuance of them is they both want partners. Like they talk about having a summer girlfriend, you know, and things like that. It's not, it's not entirely about them being a sex object. It's that them as people, you know, and yeah. I think that's, that, there is that too. I However, th I uh, think for Seth, it's a bit more sinister, especially yeah. when he describes it. Cause he's essentially saying he wants a woman to sleep with so that when he gets to college, he'll be good at it. So there's not yeah. any attachment. He even talks about like being the guy that they regret sleeping with when they're drunk. Yeah, I want to be that guy. And it's, it's very kind of like predatory and similar to what was covered in 40-Year-Old Virgin. 
which we did a, a couple of months ago, like the the idea of guys preying on women who are drunk because they're easier to sleep with. It's mm. very gross, and it's something that today is far more glaringly not okay. And yeah, but I it, think that, it, it I does think compared- come. I know. I, sorry, don't mean to cut you off. That's right. It does come kind of full circle for Evan because he's the one that that's not like that, and he's going so far the other direction that he's like, "You're drunk. I don't want to do this." But I, I think for Seth, I, I think it is a, a very big character flaw for him. Yes, but I think uh, if you look, if you look at these characters, he there's a don't for him. Those actions are so littered in insecurity, mm-hmm. right? And it's vague. It, it's so clear. So I'm not, I'm not, once again, not condoning it, but it's one of those things. Like if you look at, say, How I Met Your Mother with Barney, for him, like that is an identifiable, proud part of his character. For better, you know, for better or worse, for when that movie, when the, that series was made. But what I'm, what I'm seeing here in in Seth's character is a a, a very, very self conscious, very low confident, very low self esteem character, and this is what he believes will make him socially accepted, and will give him that confidence, give him, give him what he is missing. And I, and yes, that is an altered, that is an inco- like incorrect perception to yeah. have, but I do think that's the nuance that can be lost if you look at it with that big overarching picture. Yeah, you're right. And like I'm not- you pass that broad brush, yeah. you you miss out on those things. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's bad writing or anything like that because it's accurate it's just uh as a i think from a critic's perspective you look at this and and the message that it's sending to kids who are still in that phase and they might see it and think that it's a funny and b normal and that could be problematic I, I would agree with that, but I think the, I think it's the the approach taken in this film is better than say American Pie. <laughs> That's interesting um, because they are very similar. They are yeah. the same sort of raunchy comedy, but I I think the 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 appeal, the approach, the way it's handled, because they do both have the movies both have that same goal, that same focus of finding a partner to have sex with before the end of high school. Yeah. So in American Pie. American Pie feels a lot more like, predatory. Yeah, well, hmm, interesting. Because I'm trying to think back to when we did that. It was like the third or fourth episode of this show. But there's like four characters. And I think two of them end up sleeping with someone. And the other two decide that there's more important things in the world. So that even back, even with that movie, there was that message that you don't have to do this to be cool. And it's mm. not always, you know... Anyway, I, I think... But I mean, like, the, I mean, like, the way it's presented overall, like, you know, we've... Sure. Because American Pie was going with that sort of Porky's-esque vibe, so there was, like, you know, breasts everywhere and stuff like that. I don't think there's any nudity in this movie from memory. No. There's enough other... Oh, well, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, penises. You know what I mean? For, like, a teenage <laughs> comedy, there was a lot of yeah. nudity in the 90s. And a real... You know, you know, right now, in, like, in terms of this... Of, of Superbad... Like it's it's kind of nice to have that same that that comedy without that complete demeaning of women. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong, still bad. Yeah, but <laughs> and even even it's... in this even in like the period blood scene, it's like what's like the ultimate gross out thing for a guy? Period blood. Period blood. <laughs> like we'll just make a scene about that, which apparently happened to someone at their school. Um, 
So yeah, that was uh, that was what I had. The other one was just the liberal use of fag as a as a slur. Yes, like that's yes. all through the movie, especially the way that he talks about Fogle. Like fag keeps calling him Faggle. Faggle, and yeah. it's it's glaring. Like now you just wouldn't do it. I don't even think teenagers talk like that anymore. So it's probably more that I don't I don't I don't think that that term is used as as liberally. Um, I'm, I'm, children are horrible and I'm sure they'll call each other anything <laughs> under the sun, but I do think that word has certainly phased. So who would be the most offended? I had LGBT because of the aforementioned slur. Yeah. Probably most people, anyone that aren't 17 year old <laughs> dudes, I think. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's the big part of it. Cause you know, as, as I was saying, like this movie was made for a very specific group of people at a very specific age, mm. that transitional window. And once again, like I, 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 they can be offended all they want about this film. This film was capturing, this film is a true, like, movies that I love, obviously a lot of big action block, big blockbusters or whatever, but this movie is made because two individuals wanted to tell a relatively personal story. This is the story of this is something that they that they were facing, whether it be pulled from other people. It's this is what they experienced in their life at this window of time. That is what I want to see in film. Like it doesn't have to be cookie cutter and anyone can fit into it. Like no no, make it this one moment because mm. that's true and that's real. And like yeah, uh, I apologize and I for me I'd be apologizing to anyone that's offended from this movie. But like this this captures a very specific time, a very specific subsect of people and as i said because of that bromancy nature of it and as you mentioned you know the gentleman that works at the simpsons like um brooks this for many children i said many children many teens this movie hit something it helped help them realize something whether it be your connection to your friends you know whether it be just seeing yourself on screen because i don't know about you jono but like myself you know I I have always grown up being that ch- that chubby, funny, so you know, not entirely confident, fat kid, right? Funny fat kid. That that was my. And, and every like I said, I, this is gonna say, this sounds like oh I'm not I'm not represented in movies properly, but I'm not like me like my character my, the the thing that I would identify in movies with we are always side characters they are never given their shot like if you look at romantic comedies even dramas or you know all the like fat people are pushed to the side and they are treated like that they are butt of jokes and they are not they are not treated fairly. On, on nicely right now this is a weird thing to say but like this movie i said it captured who i was at that time and i for one like i said even to this day i i haven't found a movie since that made me go that mm. is exactly my experiences or at least a a, a simile a simile of my experiences caught on film and i but i saying that though i know yeah. there are a ton of people that have never had that experience period <laughs> so in terms of yeah to bring it back to who would be offended by this film probably anyone but me the movie did so well with critics that it does have an appeal beyond the people that are in the movie i think like i I, as i said i was 19 or 20 when i watched this and i liked i loved it because it reminded me of high school and it reminded it was on top of that it's 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 just a funny movie like the dialogue is good the the gags are funny the cops you know mclovin getting punched in the Mm. face like it's just it's just a good movie so I don't think it's like you, you say it's made for teenagers or whatever. 
you couldn't even go and watch this movie unless you were 18 in America, I think, because it was an R-rated comedy. So it's... No, yeah, it would be R. So R's 17 still, yeah. Right. Yeah, so it's, so it's yeah. made about teenagers. Teenagers will want to go and see it, and they, they might get to go and see it. But it's also... It, there's an appeal that goes beyond that. But as, as far as who, who would be the most offended, yeah, I mean, I, I had LGBT. I don't think that there's, like... I don't know, like cops, maybe. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. Because well, I think any groups. Because as we said, when you and I did Chasing Amy together, right? Like, we, I, you know, we still love that movie, but that movie is very problematic now. You know, when it, when it, simply down to its binary understanding of sexuality, and and how that, like, that doesn't match with now. Period. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think I think the yeah I think that'd be the big difference. If people watch go watch Chasing Amy right now, like yeah, there's likely you'll be offended because it's just if you want to talk about the the you know the the flagrant use of fag and and, and you know um sort of slurs, then that movie's full of them. But yeah, like I think this this is a tough film to to sort of make that comparison. Of. Like once again, it's me putting not that like maybe I'm offended that someone might be offended by it. Like that's very possible. <laughs> um just because this movie does mean so much to me because as i said like you know as you said like I, I i look back at this movie now and i think of myself and i think of my friend Spratty, you know who was the best man at my weddings one of my dearest friends of my entire life and i can think nothing but positive thoughts about this film because of that emotional connection so mm. that's probably my fault <laughs> all good all good and also shout out to jack black for being a big fat guy that gets the girls in the movies yeah it's like the one exception always. Yeah. All right. Does Superbad pass the internet relevancy test? Yes. It's everywhere. Ah, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a yes. so think easy it's to yes. find like reactions and gifs and memes that are based on this movie. Like you can pretty much type in any quote from the movie and it will come up. <laughs> I don't know whether it u- it's used frequently, but I think for once again for for our for our generation, it probably gets referred to a lot more often. Mm-hmm. Are there any particular for- moments that you think come up the most? Uh, in and around my mouth, it's probably one I use a lot. I love that gif, um, so I use that one probably the most. <laughs> uh, f- me right? That was that was a big one for a while. Yeah. Um, so that that like that literally became a meme for the longest time. Memes have since changed. That, yeah, that's an interesting one because when I was watching it, he doesn't actually say the line in the footage that. It yes. was used for. It's like he says it after that facial expression, but yeah, it, yeah. it, it works. Uh, yeah. So the, the short answer is yes, very much so. Yeah. I yeah. And I, I think part of a big part of that is the people creating memes and stuff were our generation, basically. Yeah. Like what the 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 coming of age of Twitter and the internet and Vine and social media in general was people who probably graduated at the same time as the kids in this movie and went on to to do all that stuff. <laughs> Saying that, I have a friend, his name's Christopher Love, shout out, we still call him McLovin. I was introduced nice. to him as McLovin and he, like, yeah, it's now 2021 and he is still McLovin. It's a great name. <laughs> I- Irish R&B singer. <laughs> How would uh, mod- modern smartphones and social media change this movie uh i think very surface level Mm. yeah i mean essentially the plot is 
trying to buy alcohol and things go wrong. Like that's kind of the baseline. So there'd be a few different things happening there where maybe like instead of getting some cash from from Jules, it's like here, I'm going to transfer you some money. Maybe they get lost like... Like you'd think they would be, they would be in a bit more contact with Fogel as the movie goes on, where they just like mm. they see him at the at the liquor store, they bail when the cops are there, and they don't see him again until they're getting <laughs> patted down by the cops. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that's kind of doesn't hold up the best <laughs> is just the cops. We didn't really mention <laughs> that, and and pouring beer into a um washing detergent container like i don't know if they really touched on how <laughs> they showed him washing it out he washed it out yeah but still like there's gonna there's gonna be residue man like would you drink would you drink out of that i wouldn't drink water well, out blue of it. beer I, 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 yeah. <laughs> anyway um yeah i think you're right like it would be like social media they'd be like following along maybe the party's kicking off when we're late look there's a video from the party that kind of thing. Anyway, yeah, it this, it what, this, what, this is what we're missing out on, sort of stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, very surface level. Like, unlike the X Files, where if you put a smartphone and that completely changes the whole series, uh, I think that's a big difference. Because you know, previously when it was like, if some file just went missing off a table, Mulder was, f- but like, at least here, <laughs> you know. Uh, oh no! Have you been counting my swears? Been allowed to swear? No, I'm not counting them. I'm writing down the time codes so I can bleep them. Oh, do you? Do I get bleeped? Yeah, you get bleeped. Have I been, have I been bleeped this whole time? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> bleep, bleep. That's fine. But yeah, no. Yeah, unlike the X-Files, I think this would be perfectly fine um, if, if there was the, no smartphones. Yeah. So that kind of takes us into, could you make this movie today? What would the 2021 version look like? Have you seen Booksmart, Ryan? I have not. You should watch that. I think it's still on Netflix. That's where I watched it. It has been called the female Superbad, which probably oh. isn't giving it enough credit because I think it's a, it's that's a bit reductive. See, to, but once to just again, call like, going with what I said before, like, oh, that's not made for me. I want to see that. I, I want to see that experience. It's really good. It's hilarious, and it stars Jonah Hill's Booksmart. sister. Oh, I know that that the woman that she was in um the girl what's what's her name she was in Ladybird yes which I also loved it's a yes. good great coming of age film yeah 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 Jonah Hill's sister is one of the main actors in this movie she's hilarious um it's a similar thing of you know girls trying to get to party to see guys that they like or whatever it's when you say it like that it does does sound like super bad. But, but not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. I'm, yeah. I'm super down for that. But mostly because, like, as I said, there is this misconception, right? That like the other, the other, you know, when we're in high school, the girls don't talk about that. The girls are filthy. They were just as bad. <laughs> like not yeah. maybe not to the like the same degree, like in terms of the exact wording or phrasing or the same uh, same direction. But I have you know from firsthand you know anecdotal evidence that like it was just as bad. Like there is that experience. I'm yeah. sure many women. We'll look at that and and presumably match that experience. And I'm really excited to watch that movie now. Yeah, let me know what you think because I think you'll like it. It's it's very funny and because it came out last year, it's like it is the modern version, like where mm. it is very much about 
Instagram and look what this person just, you know, Snapchatted me and all that kind of stuff. Because I know they tried to semi do Super Bad again, but with a younger crowd with the Good Boys. Okay, yeah, I watched that. Did you? See I that? haven't seen it. I wouldn't say but they like were that trying, gave me yeah. that that gave me the Super Baddy sort of vibes from the trailer. Sure, I wouldn't say they were trying to do Super Bad. It's, I mean, oh, that's it, good. It is. It's Seth Rogen writing it, so it's going to have some of that humor to it. But there's an innocence to those boys where it is a, a movie for adults because of what mm. it's because of the humor. But it's through the lens of these kids who don't understand what's going on, I guess, because they're too okay. innocent. So th- I think that makes it kind of interesting. Yeah. So with Booksmart, um, does it have that same heart that Superbad does? It does. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. And it's that got, I am a hundred percent. Yeah. In. It's got the, it's got the, you know, the, the two girls and one of them's well, book smart, you know, she's the smart one and she's been studying her whole life. And it's like the last night of, of school before graduation. And they want to do all the fun stuff that they never got to do. Cause they were always, you know, studying mm. basically. So it, it is <laughs> the more I talk about it, it's it feels more and more like super bad. But I, it's you know it's its own thing. It's worth checking out if you're listening to this and haven't seen it. Everything is and everything is influenced by something that came before it. There is yeah. no shame in saying that you are you are influenced by something because like no one is truly unique. We are the sum of our influences, Jono. Oh, I don't know if they were influenced by super bad, but it look, it, it, I would guess that they were because huge movie. You know it's. Mm people that and once again if you look at the time frame it's been 15 it's been what how many, 14, how many years? 14 years people that grew up yes. with that movie are now in a position to make movies yeah totally okay it's time for the steve buscemi spark plug award steve buscemi a real spark plug the nominees there's only a, there's a few there's a few so dave franco gets his two seconds of airtime. i thought he was quite funny as the kid who peed his pants and just wanted people to to move on <laughs> people don't forget uh kevin corrigan who i mentioned as someone that popped up in freaks and geeks he plays the guy who's throwing like the adult who's throwing the house party that um they stumble into and he kind of has a go at evan uh, sorry at seth for dancing with his girl and there's the whole fight and he's fighting with this other character who's another nominee joe latruglio who is hilarious. I think that he's the the winner of this award. He plays the Francis, the driver, who crashes into Seth and then offers to give them the lift to this party. He's hilarious. He's asking them if they're on MySpace and he's telling them. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, MySpace might be the most uh, 2000s reference, I think. We completely went past it. Yeah, we did, actually. You guys on MySpace? Yeah, and (laughs) he's telling him that he looks like Jimmy's brother and... That's a gag that comes back when those guys make him sing because they think that yep. he is Jimmy's brother. <laughs> uh, one of the guys I love in that group is uh, David Crumholtz, who who will always yeah. be the dude from Numbers for me. But like, I love seeing him spot up, jump up randomly. Like uh, yeah. a couple of months ago, he rocked up on WWE as a as a larger version of uh, 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 Drew McIntyre, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is a dude from Numbers!" So like, every time I see him in anything, I have that literal response. Because, yeah, like, he's just I always think of Ten Things I Hate About You because that was the first time I saw ah, him. Ah, when he had the the hat. 
That's the, yeah. yeah, he was the Shakespeare guy. Yeah. That got the, the penis drawn on his face. But he <laughs> he also popped up in Freaks and Geeks for a couple episodes. So, you know, it's it's cool to see those those dudes showing up. But I think yeah, um I think the award goes to, to Joe. He of course is really famous now because of Brooklyn nine nine. Yeah. But it's it's funny see, like seeing him back when this movie was made when probably no one really knew who he was i think if you're a big comedy geek you would recognize him he was in i love you man a few years or a couple years later as well so he was starting to make a bit of a name for himself so you're the award winner joe enjoy it uh last question before we finish up is super bad still a good movie ryan (laughs) uh all I've done is gush about it for about an hour and a bit. So, uh, yes, very much so. We'll give that one a tick. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Well, once I- again, that, as it, uh, admittedly, as, as I said before, I want to reiterate that is an incredibly biased yes from me. I mean, that's okay. It's like we all like movies for our, our, our own reasons. Like Up until a certain point in time, I would have argued that Space Jam was like an objectively good movie. I'd still, uh, I could, I could no, still make the. Ar- that might be a subjectively good movie. <laughs> I could, man, I could sorry. still make the argument, but I'd be wrong. I think, I think it's, obje- <laughs> I think it's objectively not a good movie, but that doesn't mean that I can't like it. Um, but yeah, true, I, I, I think true. that this movie is objectively funny. Like, I don't know if there's such a thing as objectively funny, but I think it is. Um, it's hilarious, and we haven't, you know, we haven't talked so much about just how funny, flat out funny it is. It's mm. mostly, you know, we've been talking about like the the heart that's running through it and how relatable it is, but it's just like whether it's the improv, like the spirit of improv that's really fostered by Judd Apatow, the actors that they've cast in this being just fantastic improvisers, especially Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill and Bill Hader and Seth Rogen. It just works and the, it's cast so well and the, the dynamics and chemistry between everyone is on point and... Yeah, like it just it, it holds up. Like it's been fourteen years, and it still feels like it. There's nothing about it that feels old, apart from some of the language that gets used. Yeah, and I think you're spot on in terms of the chemistry. The chemistry is what binds this film, um, because all the conversations feel organic, and feel real, and they yeah. feel like they're conversations that you've either been a part of or you've witnessed. And I think that's the, one of the best, the, the most defining things about this film. Even something as simple as two dudes ragging on a friend, like when he, you know, when he pulls out the license, like the amount of times that I, I, I'm sure it might just be, it's not just me, like there were, you know, the, 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 my friends, we, the, we, there was the trio, there was myself, Spratty, and Scott, and there were times where where Scott and I would just bounce off each other and rip up Spratty, you know what I mean? And then it would, we would we'd all take turns at some point, and everyone would get a go, and that's part of being in a friends group, you know, it's it's that friend friendly banter, it's that you know. And yeah. have, watching that go down in like real time, but like in a movie is, is it's, I'm sure it's the same way when people watch Clerks the first time, they went, wow, these guys are talking Star Wars like I do, <laughs> you know, and, I, and this is that same thing. It's like yeah. you're seeing yourself on screen. But also the complexity of friends who you don't really like that much, like, like Seth and Fogel don't really get along that well. And mm. I I didn't have friendships like that, but I certainly saw them. And I over you know my lifetime since high school, there's been 
friendships and acquaintances that you you know you kind of spend time together but you wouldn't like necessarily if you weren't in the same place you get the sense that Seth yes. and Fogel wouldn't necessarily hang out after high school but they're kind of stuck together they maybe they don't fit in with any other groups they're not cool enough for the football team they're not geeky enough for you know the chess club or whatever it is no offense to the chess players but uh you can see they've that like Evan is the one that they both are kind of... Yeah, he's he, the binder. He's the, he's yeah, he's the glue. Thing. And if he wasn't there, then they wouldn't hang out. So it's interesting that they managed to, to capture that as well. But anyway. Yes. Um, and the, the start of, of many writing efforts for Seth Rogen. I'm sure we'll cover some more of them on the podcast in future episodes. Like Pineapple Express, I think. Oh, God, that's, such good, that's a good film too. Mm. More bromance, more heart. Yeah, <laughs> what's the what's the common theme there? Uh, listeners, you can subscribe, you can share the podcast with your friends if you want to help get the word out there to help us get some more listeners. And of course, you can grab your 8-bit merch over at shop8bit.net. That's a great way to get the word out by putting the 8-bit brand on your body. And we even have a Comedy Rewind-inspired t-shirt with a sweet Sony VHS throwback design. Uh, you can support us over at our Kofi page if you really want to get behind what we're doing. That's ko-fi.com slash weare8bit. You can leave your Podchaser reviews. You can leave your Apple Podcast reviews. Another great way to help get the word out about what we're doing. We want to thank our Kofi producers. And Ryan, where can people catch you on the socials? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at HaggardMC, H-A-G-G-A-R-D-M-C. Uh, you, of course, you can find me over at The Pop Culturist, which is a brand that I have uh, that I co-founded like seven years ago at this point, uh, where we, uh, yeah, where most recently we, we have two, two flagship shows, uh, which is a For The Players, that's our PlayStation podcast, um, just surpassed episode 200. Woo. That's, that's an achievement in of itself. Uh, and then, of course, our uh, professional wrestling focus show, The Young and the Wrestlers. Uh, so check that out on YouTube, podcast services, and all those all those usual places. So when you're out checking out this and other 8-bit shows, why don't you go see some friends of the 8-bit in us? Mm, very good friends. And by the time this comes out, your review for Resident Evil Village will be up too. So yeah, so if you want something a bit different, Resi, Resi review will be up, which we don't. Very Sorry. good. And you can catch me on socials at Jono himself. <laughs> Once again, if you want to snapshot the 2000s, look at Jono's uh, Twitter handle. Look at my Twitter handle. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know that we're from the same breed. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, that's the CKY reference if you, if you missed it out there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but we want to thank you for joining us on Comedy Rewind. Till next episode, be kind. <laughs>